We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9. And we're going to open in prayer before we look at this. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to come together. We thank you for our worship and song. We ask you to bless this time as we worship you in the word and learn how to apply the word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 46. Then there arose a reason among them which, which of them should be greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their hearts, took a child and set him by him and said unto them, Whoever shall receive this child in my name receives me, and whoever shall receive me receives him that sent me. For he that is least among you all shall be the same shall be great. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in your name, and we forbade him because he followed not with us. And Jesus said unto them, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, that he steadfastly set his eyes to go to Jerusalem, and, then, and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of Samaria of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him, because his face was, was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, will you that we will command fire to come down from heaven and will consume them even as Elijah did. And he turned and said and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them that they and they went to another village. So we have two different stories that are kind of linked together in today's <laughs> message. They're they're We've watched them go out. Jesus sent the disciples out. They ministered. They came back all happy that the demons listened to them and that people responded and said, you know, be happy about the message. And then he, we had the transfiguration where Peter, James, and John went up and, and saw him changed. And now we're coming in. And after all of these things, they're talking amongst themselves. You know, Jesus is walking ahead a little bit and they're talking and they're kind of debating in themselves who is going to be the greatest. Now, we have said this over and over. Part of the problem that the disciples had is they were waiting for him to set up a kingdom that was going to rule there. He was going to be king. And basically what they're saying is, who's going to be his right-hand man? Who is going to be number two in this kingdom that he's setting up? You know, we're all together. We're all friends. But, you know, somebody has to be number two is, is in their mindset. And they're battling over this whole idea of who, who is going to be number two. You know, I can almost picture Peter saying, well, I'm the oldest. I should be number two. You know, uh, James and John, yeah, but we went up on the Mount of Transfiguration with him. You know, we, we saw this change. You know, you can, you can picture the kind of comments that are going on. And they're just debating amongst themselves. And Jesus hears them. And Jesus said that he took up a child and brought him in and said, whoever receives this child, you know, now, this doesn't mean such a big deal to us in our day. You know, we're used to children being attended to and being listened to in our day and age. Some of you are older. You remember when you were a kid, there was the idea that children were to be seen and not heard. Well, in Jesus' day, the children weren't even supposed to be seen. You know, all of a sudden, a kid became old enough to be an adult and all of a sudden showed up. You know, that was their logic. Kids were at no place in the world. They were to be kept in the, behind the fences, behind the, 
the walls. They were not to be out on the streets. You know, uh, you know, the population just magically popped up and, and grew as far as, as, far as they, you know, they understood. Don't get me wrong. But the idea was the kids weren't to be seen. And Jesus grabs hold of the child and says, this is, this is what you need to be looking at. You know, we're told that we are to come to him as children, just in faith, trust. And he says, who shall ever receive this child? Now, this word for receive is a kind of an interesting one. It is to approve for friendship. <laughs> now, you've got to picture Jesus saying, you've got to receive this child with that kind of mentality. You've got to receive this child as a friend. That was a shocking statement to them. And he says, whoever receives this child receives me. So what is he saying? We need to take care of one another. You know, part of the problem that we sometimes have as Christians is we kind of get up to this place where, well, you know, we got it all put together. We're headed to heaven. We're okay. We're, we got our little group in this church. We, you know, we're, we're, we're all okay. And we forget a world out there that needs to be touched, that needs to be ministered to, that needs to be reached out to. And, you know, we need to be able to do this because Jesus came to this world to touch human, humanity. You know, God put himself in a place where he knew exactly what humans were going to. Now, God knew everything anyway, but he became human and now can say, well, I know exactly what you were going through. Because we've talked about this. He became human. He had to be a child. He had to learn to feed himself, learn to talk, learn to read and right. He didn't just show, pop up out of Mary and say, hi mom and dad, how are y'all doing today? <laughs> you know, he was just like every child that was born and had to learn all of these things. He went through adolescence. How many times do we excuse adolescents because their hormones are raging and they don't have any, any control over them? He, had to, he was an adolescent. And he wasn't magically you know, protected from that uh, Event, event time. He walked this world without sin. He says, you need to accept the lowest. And he pulled out one of the lowest that he could have pulled out in that situation. If there had been a leper around, he might have said, whoever accepts this leper. Because his point was, are you ready to reach out to the lowest? Is there anybody that you're not willing to reach out and help? Now, having said that, I'm sure that everyone that says, well, there's certain people that I probably wouldn't feel comfortable around. You know, and it's kind of an interesting situation. You know, uh, you know, are you looking at the person who's a drunk and you're not willing to, or the drug addict? Maybe it's a biker. You don't want to be anywhere near a biker. You know, it's, you know, who is it that is so far down in your mindset that you are not willing to accept them? This is what Jesus is saying. We need to accept the lowest. The lowest one needs to be accepted and brought in so that Jesus will be accepted by us or accepted to acceptable. And then he says, if you have accepted me, you've accepted the Father. This is the beauty of this. We accept Jesus Christ and then the Father accepts us as well and we accept him because we are changed to be able to be acceptable to him. Without this, we cannot be acceptable to him. And you know, he gives this story to them and it says in verse 35, they, they understood not, for it was hid for them. They did not understand what he was saying by bringing a child. Because they, all, all, ultimately, I think they were looking at, why did he bring a child into our midst? You know, 
what is this child doing here with us? And again, we don't really understand the shock of that, that move. They would have really been shocked by this. A child in the middle of our group, our teacher brought a child into this group. Why would he do that? So they're struggling with that, and they're not really hearing him about receive this child, and they're going, this does not compute. There was so much that you could say that the disciples were going, this does not compute. He's talking about dying in Jerusalem. He's supposed to be setting up a kingdom. Why would he die? Doesn't compute, ignore. How many times do we do the same thing? We get stuck on what we believe to be the truth, and we get something that doesn't make sense to us, and we just immediately throw it aside without looking at it. Now, we can get fed a whole bunch of lies. So we want to be careful, but you know, we need to look at what we're being told and look at it and say, is there any truth in it? Is there anything that needs to be done with it? You know, when people criticize, now there are certain people, they are critics of everything. They just criticize everything. But you know, even if you're with that person, you need to look at what they're saying and go, is there any truth in what they're saying? Do I have to change something? None of us like to be critiqued. It gets, it, you know, we all, we bristle, we get up, I don't want to be told what to do. Or, you know, this person is saying, I'm not doing this right. But you need to be able to at least listen and say, is there a truth in this? One of the problems we have in our world today is people do not listen to opposing points of view without attacking the individual. Now, it's not a good thing. Now, when we hold on to God's word, that's fine. But when we defend our position or try to take down their position, are we doing it with love? Now, I've shared with many of you, I've been a creationist since all the way back when I first got saved. When I was in high school, I was not a nice kid to my instructors and my teachers. Because I had all the scientific facts to, to tear down everything they wanted to say about evolution. And I was not nice. <laughs> I did not present my case with love. <laughs> I was, I'm superior, I know more, and I'm going to make you feel very small when you're done. And I did. Which did not make me very popular with my science teachers. Now, I'm, I say that because it was a bad thing to do. I was arrogant, young, and, and, you know, had all the answers, and I made sure they knew it. You can be right and present your case to somebody in a loving, kind way. Because ultimately, you're not responsible for what they do with the information. All you do is lovingly give it to them, and if they want to accept it, it's between them and God. If they reject it, it's between them and God. I have grown and matured mostly in my days, in my years, and am now softer in the way I present things to it because I know that they stand and fall before God. And this is how when you're delivering the gospel. The gospel is hard for people to understand because when, what are we going to be first telling them? Uh, by the way, you're a sinner, you're headed for hell. Now you could tell them that in a very kind way, you're, you're a sinner and you're headed for hell and I really don't want to see you go there, so here's your way out. Or you can be like the old fiery, you know, brimstone, hell and brimstone. But you're all going to hell! And be, you know, smile on your face like, well, I'm looking forward to you all going to hell. Which one's going to win somebody? Not usually the person telling them they're going to go to hell with a smile on their face. That person who is showing a heartbrokenness that this is your head, your destination is, is hell because of your sin. We need to learn this acceptance 
you know, he took a child into their presence. Now, one thing about children, when children want to be around you, they know that you love them. There are certain adults that children don't want to be around at all. They know that they're not liked. They know that the adult doesn't like them, and they try to stay as far away from that adult as possible. There are certain adults that they just swarm all over because they know that that person cares and loves them. Jesus, obviously, when it seems that there were children always around Jesus in an age when children weren't supposed to be around. And, you can, and he's always sitting there ministering to them, praying for them, blessing them, shocking all the adults in the, in the room because they weren't looking at the children. And then he says they feared to ask him about this. You know, and he says, then John goes, uh, by the way, Master, we saw somebody casting out demons. <laughs> He's not one of us, so we told him not to do it. <laughs> and Jesus' answer was, if he's doing something good, and in this case, the word for good is he's doing something that couldn't be done if he didn't have the right attitude in the first place. He's doing miracles that are of God, so he has to be on our side. And he says he's not quickly, if he's doing something for us, he's not quickly going to go against us. Now, this isn't always true of every single person that is saying that they're a Christian. We have... All kinds of people around that are saying they're Christians and they don't teach the Christian message. They don't do anything Christian. They just say they're Christian. And we're seeing less and less of it in America. It used to be, if you remember back in the 70s and 80s, everybody in America was a Christian. And the reason was, of course I'm a Christian, I'm American. I'm glad we don't hear that any, very, very often anymore. Because we're not a Christian just because we're American. We are a Christian because we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and are in a relationship with God. And this is the key word, relationship. I am not in a religion. A religion is a bunch of rules that I have to follow to please God. And that is what is the case of all religions out there. They're all rules to try to please their God and none of them can keep their rules. That is what God gave the Ten Commandments for. He says, Here's a, you want a bunch of rules to live by people? Here's your rules. And nobody can keep the rules. The Jews tell us there are 613 rules, and we can't even live by the Ten Commandments that we all know. Now, and if you think you are, I'll give you the, the last one says, you shall not covet. I don't know a single person who has not coveted for something. Wanted something that somebody else has. And if that's not bad enough, we have an entire advertising agency that is desiring to get you to covet things. I'm ha perfectly happy with my car. It gets me from point A to point B with good gas mileage. And you see all these commercials on there that, you know, this car will drive itself. It'll park itself. It will it'll give you directions. It'll give you, it'll make your coffee for you in the morning and serve you breakfast. You know, who knows what the next cars we're going to do to you. You know, and you're perfectly happy with it until you see all the stuff your car doesn't have. And all of a sudden, you have to have that car. Or worse yet, your, your best friend gets something better than you have. And all of a sudden, you need what they have, or actually you need something better than they have so that they can want what you have. We have a problem, and the law is designed to do just that, show us that we have a sin problem. And this is why Jesus came to pay the debt for sin that we could not pay. And all of this comes down to this, and Jesus says, don't, don't go after him. What was he saying? 
All right, we just had this discussion that you guys are greater than them because you're following me. Again, he's making the point, you don't know what you're saying. You don't understand what you're doing. Just because they're not following me does not mean that they're not my, not, you know, doesn't follow our group, doesn't mean that they're not following God. And he's pushing this with them. Now, there is only one way to heaven, that's through Jesus Christ. But, you know, even in our day and age, how many different denominations and churches are there? I wouldn't even begin to count. There's like, there's like three or four hundred flavors of Baptist. <laughs> okay. Uh, they all believe the same basic doctrines, but for some reason there's certain little rules that, 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 that break them all apart. And then you go into all kinds of other denominations. We need to get together where we're not attacking one another. If somebody needs a different, different flavor, that's fine. As long as they preach that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that's all that really matters. I've got lots of friends that are very Pentecostal and, and speak in tongues and all that other stuff, and I have no problem with them. You know, why? It's not a problem. They love Jesus. They know that Jesus is the way to heaven, and that's all that matters. And I'm going to tell you very soon, when the persecution starts on the church of Jesus Christ in America, we're not going to care what denomination people are in. We're just going to care, do you love Jesus? Because I, want, I, need, I need people that I can fellowship with around. And it'll be very important for us to understand that Jesus is the most important thing to be lifted up. And watch what he does. Because it is going to be very important that we love one another and we lift one another up because there's coming a time when that's all that's going to matter. It is, do we love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? And we're going to gather together and, and with those disciples that do that. And Jesus, uh, it says in verse 51, And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. What is this talking about? He's coming close to death. He's headed to Jerusalem for the last day. Very interesting that in the Gospels, 66% of the Gospel narratives are about the last month of Jesus' life. And most of them are the last week of Jesus' life. Why? Because as far as they were concerned, that was the most important part. For, two year, uh, for three years before that, they were being taught and raised and trained up. And that last year was when everything started to go falling apart, even in their own minds. You know, our, our master has gone crazy. He keeps talking about being, uh, dying. He's not setting up. You know, he's the Messiah. He's supposed to be setting up a kingdom, and he's talking about dying. And he's really crazy. He's talking about rising again in three days after that. You know, and in their mind, they're, they're really having problems. You know, they're following the Messiah, and, and they're wondering, if, has he gone crazy? You know, has our teacher gone crazy? He's talking about dying and resurrecting, and we just don't know what's going on with all of this. And here he sets his face to it, and he sends people, he sends the messengers out to prepare a room for him in Samaria. And again, we don't really understand the, the problem with that. The Jews did not go through Samaria if they could help it. Jesus had this penchant of going through Samaria. You know, he liked to break all the rules that man had. He didn't break any of God's rules, but he, he broke man's rules all the time. But he sent out to make this plan. And, then, and I guess uh, during that conversation was, well, where, where, where are you all going? And, well, we're going to stop here and then we're going to, to Jerusalem. Don't want you. <laughs> Don't want you in our town. The Samaritans hated 
the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. There were lots of reasons. The Jews considered them half-breeds. They were the people that stayed in, in the uh, land of Israel when the rest of the nation was taken out into Babylon. It was the poorest of the poor, and they did the worst thing a Jewish person could do. They married Gentiles. And they, so the Jews looked at them as half-breeds. They mixed the, the Jewish religion with the religions of that area, and they decided that rather than going to Mount Moriah or Calvary or Jerusalem to worship, they were, going to mount, they were worshiping on Mount Gerizim. So they had a big problem. The Jews said you had to worship at the temple. They're saying we like to worship right here in our own town. And when Jesus talked to the woman in Samaria, he says there's coming a time when it's not going to matter where you worship. You will worship God in spirit. But Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem. It's closing in on Passover. Passover. And they know that any Jew coming from the north to down is going to Jerusalem. And they're going to go, no, we don't want you. They rejected him. And it's kind of interesting when we see this. Uh, James and John, in another passage called the Sons of Thunder, they're very interesting characters. They are upset that the Messiah has been rejected in Samaria. And they go to Jesus, should we call down fire on this town? <laughs> like, Joe, like Elijah did on, on Mount Carmel. You know, they rejected the Messiah. They deserve to be punished. Happened with Elijah too. Remember Elisha, when he was going to be arrested, fire came down and, and destroyed the, the army, the, the, the com uh, company that tried to arrest him twice. Because they said, we command you to, the king commands you to come with us. And he says, okay, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down. And it came down and destroyed them on two occasions. This third guy was a little more humble. He goes, look, I'm only doing my job. Uh, the king wants you to come with us. And God said, go with them. They were coming down. Now, they were righteously angry. These guys have rejected the Messiah. They deserve to be destroyed. How many times do we have that attitude towards somebody? These people have rejected the gospel message. They've rejected God. God... Bring down fire, you destroy them. It's easy to get into that attitude sometimes. And Jesus' answer to them is, you know not what manner of spirit you have. Jesus came with an attitude of mercy and grace. He has given the church the ministry of mercy and grace. Now there is coming a time of judgment. When everybody stands before God that has rejected Jesus at the white throne judgment, they are not facing mercy and grace anymore. They are going to face judgment. And they will receive the reward for their lifestyle. Our job on this planet is not to go around judging everybody. Because i got news for you. If you don't know it already, you're not perfect and I'm not perfect. <laughs> You know, so if we're going around judging everybody, we want to be starting by judging ourselves and realizing that I've got a lot of issues in my own life that needs to be dealt with before I can start trying to judge other people. 
Now, that doesn't mean that we can't tell them that, what, that God says what they're doing is sin. That's not a problem. That's not judgment. That's just telling them you're breaking the laws and here's the rules that you're breaking. But I'm not to judge because I'm not perfect. Jesus could have judged and didn't judge because he was perfect. And he understood mercy and grace. And we've defined this many times and I'll define it again. Mercy is not getting what you deserve and grace is getting what you don't deserve. Usually we think of it as blessings, which it is. So God has great mercy on us. He does not give us what we deserve com completely. But he does give us grace. He gives us eternal life. He gives us peace. He gives us understanding. Now, does this mean that God does not judge this world for its sins? Oh, no. We're starting to see more and more judgment on our world for the sins. And I have no problem to say, and most of these storms and, and diseases and everything that we have are because of the sin of mankind, and God's trying to shake us up and say, pay attention. How do I know? Because that's what he did all through the scriptures. When sin abounds, God says, I'm going to start putting my finger on you, and I want your attention. I want you to understand. It is only going to get worse without revival. Prepare your hearts. This has been my theme for quite a while now, is prepare yourself for what's coming. Judgment and trials are coming on the world, and the righteous get caught up in those things at the same time. The rain falls on the just and on the unjust. Now, will it fall as heavily on the just? No, God usually puts an umbrella over us, but we still will suffer at things happening. There is going to come a time when we're going to suffer persecution in this country up to and including martyrdom. Are you ready? Are you ready to stand for God? And as I've said many times, if you're not ready to stand for God right now when all it, all it is is people making fun of you, there is no way you're going to stand when people are saying, we're going to shoot you or hang you or cut your head off or imprison you. We need to set our hearts and minds to serve God and follow him in all that he wants to do. And this is what he's telling them. You don't know what you've done. Because the Son of Man came not to destroy, but to save. Our message is simple. We are sinners. We are headed toward hell without Jesus Christ. But Jesus came so that we could go to heaven if we accept the sacrifice of his Son on the cross and accept him into our life. We will be going to heaven. Real simple message of grace. Now that message of grace does not resonate very well with mankind because mankind will then tell you, and I've heard this over and over, well that message is too simple, it's too easy. And I have always had a great answer, yeah it's so easy that you won't do it. I've dealt with college people and it's always, it's too easy, it's got to be something I've got to do. Nope, you surrender. You let God do it. And this is the important thing. It's all God. It's by grace. For by grace are we saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing we can do, any individual can do, to earn salvation. Because it's all done on the cross. On the cross, Jesus said, the last words he said, it is finished. Telestai. Literally means it's paid in full. That would be at the bottom of all their bills that when you paid you off your bill, 
to lest die paid in full. It is finished. He died on the cross and paid the full debt of sin. All it has to do is be accepted and, and followed on him and have his righteousness put on him. So Jesus is telling the disciples, you're still thinking you're greater. All through this, they keep doing things. God, you know, Jesus said, you've got to be the servant of all. Well, God, you know, we forbade that guy that's not in our group. You know, hold it. You know, you think you're better than him. God, uh, we're going to call down fire on Samaria. You think you're greater than them. Very important for us to learn to be servants, to love others. How many of you have ever had a boss who was boss and title only and definitely didn't seem to deserve it and had to go, well, I'm the boss. You know, you're going to do this because I'm in charge. See this name tag right here? It says I'm manager or I'm supervisor or whatever that same tag says. You know, they're, they're, I, I'm, the, I'm the boss. You've got to do it. They're hard to work for. But you get somebody who goes, you know, there's a better way to do it. Let me show you how to do this better. Let me show you an easier way to do this. Or you know that at least they, they can do it. When I was managing, I had one person one time, he, he smarted off to me and goes, you know, well, I've never seen you do any of this stuff. And one of the guys told him, go, don't go there. He can do it better than all of us. <laughs> because that person had seen me do any and every job in the place. This was a new person. They didn't know didn't know yet. And I didn't have to defend myself. The others defended you. And when you are a servant, others will defend. And it's starting to be understood that servant leadership is what's important out there. Jesus said, to be the greatest, you have to be the servant of all. And there are many churches that take somebody that wants to be a pastor and see what they will do. Will the pastor clean the toilets? Will they, will they do simple things? If they won't, they're not the right, they're not really the servant heart. They want to be somebody that's lifted up. And I've seen pastors who go, well, I'm the pastor. You know, you guys got to respect me. Yeah, it's not the way it is. If you have to depend on your title to get respect, you don't deserve the title. And this is something that is going to be very important for us. As Christians, are we serving others? Even more importantly, are we even serving the others in the body of Christ? If we can't serve each other, there's no way we're going to serve the world. And we need to be able to understand that it is important to reach out and serve. Because Jesus said, the greatest is, starts out as the least. Accept this child. Accept a child. Minister to that child. Minister to the weak. Minister to the person that doesn't make any sense to minister to. I love reaching out and touching people that, you know, you know, that are never going to be able to do anything for me. Because God's going to reward it. Ultimately in heaven, we're going to have great rewards for reaching out and touching those people. But they also are the ones that know that nobody else is touching them. So when you're nice to them, you're kind to them, they're looking at you like you're different. As Christians, we should be different. In the Roman days, why did the church grow up as well as it did? Because it ministered to those that never got ministered to. They would go into the places with the, with the uh, quarantines on them and minister to the people when everybody else is getting out of there as fast as they can. They would be helping those who could not help themselves. Because of Christianity, orphanages have started and hospitals have started. Before Christianity, Kids on the street were just a bunch of beggars that you ignored. If you got hurt, 
If you, if you got healthy, good, you can come back, to, come back to life. If you weren't, oh, well, you weren't, you weren't strong enough to live. You know, you deserve to die. It was Christianity that brought care to these people that nobody cared about and lifted up the dignity. Why? Because we're created in the image of God and every person has value. Every person. This is also why racism is so bad because every person is a son or daughter of Adam and Eve created in the image of God. There are no lesser people. We need to be reaching out and touching all of God's created creation and his people. Nobody deserves to be mistreated just because of some, some strange thing. They're too poor, they're too rich, they're too, too bad, too good, too, you know, too different color of a skin or from the wrong nation. You know, none of that should matter because they are God's children that need to be reached out to touch. And this is what's important for us. Do we know the spirit that we are of? The spirit of God to reach out and minister to people. So we're going to close there. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, if there's anybody listening online or even in this room that doesn't know you, we ask today that they will recognize that they're a sinner and come to you and say, God, I am a sinner. I accept Jesus' sacrifice for me. Come into my heart and save me. And then they will talk to a Christian and let them know that this has happened. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona. 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.